predicting LinkedIn's IPO like a peak price to about 15 cents nice. to where it actually uh, before it started to drop because yeah. of this uh, this Perfect. Okay. All right. Ashley from Startup Fuel. Thanks for joining us here, man. No problem, man. All right. No problem. Uh, so we've been sitting here for a while talking and catching up, all right, while we're getting set up. So let's dial it back. All right. Let's talk a little bit about yourself and this ambitious project you're taking on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, who are you, man? Yeah. So I'm a serial entrepreneur and a serial networker. Um, you know, I love the entire startup ecosystem. That's my passion, my Everything I do is around this area. I, I think I, I realized this a long time ago that uh, the startup ecosystem around the world is is blowing up. In the next 5, 10, 15 years, entire, I'm noticing a lot of the corporate world and everything is kind of breaking down. I used to work in, um, you know, in banking. I used yeah. to work at TD Bank. I used to work in Procter & Gamble um, in, in, in an IBM consulting firm, three really large companies. And uh, what I kind of realized was that over the span of the last 15 years since the beginning of that tech boom in 2000, 2003, yep. and all these big social media companies coming out and the huge Silicon Valley boom, that the startup ecosystem was on pace to change the world in ways other industries just could not, just because of the efficiency, right? Yep. So, yeah, I took it on myself to say, I want to learn as much as I can about this. Like, I just came in at the age of 19. I uh, got thrown into the world, you know, a buddy of mine, his older brother asked, said, hey, like, we're starting this textbook rental company called Bookfly. This is uh, while you're in Schulich? This is while I was in Schulich in my first year. And uh, they said, you know, this is what we're doing. Uh, do you mind giving us some help and advice, you know, just from the finance side? And I said, yeah, sure, why not? Uh, it's a, uh, just just an informal way of learning a little bit about the space and what the startup world Definitely. looks like. And uh, they, they ended up doing really well, expanding, ending, yep. up, ending up selling their company. But in the process of all that, I realized that, the efficiency that you get in a comp in a startup company and the energy is just un unmatchable anywhere, right? So I said, okay, look, I want to learn as much as I can, but the best way to learn is I got to do something that I love to do and then combine it with what the world's out there. What I love to do, if you, you'll notice and you'll see this here too, is I'm, I'm an extreme extrovert, extreme. Like I just love meeting people, talking to them. I can approach anybody almost anywhere and start a conversation, yep. right? It's a, I wouldn't even say it's a gift. I think it's more of a, it's an obsession, you know, to learn and to grow, right? So I ended up starting at, at Schulich, one of the first days of my school, um, one of our professors came in, the first thing they said is, the number one thing you will learn here, it's not about what you know, it's about who you know. Mm -hmm. And I took it to heart, and I said, I want to start networking. I'm going to start networking and build a network that is, like, unmatchable than anybody else in the world. So I started doing one to two networking events a week. And nine years later, now I'm 725 events in 35 cities on three continents. Nice. So things have blown up, and I've always stayed within the niche of the small business space. So entrepreneurs, accelerators, investors, corporate innovation. I love this, the energy and the vibe in the system. So I decided to start here and just learn as much as I can. And yeah, that's kind of so where you, it all so began. So you said you're a serial entrepreneur. Like, What kind of uh, entrepreneurial activities have you done? Have you worked with a few startups? Have you consulted or you started your own? Yeah, so a little bit of both. Um, I, I actually initially started off with my own companies. The first company I ever started was called uh, My Opinion. Okay. Right. It was a. It was a time when I was working at TD Bank as a, a mutual fund analyst. Yeah. I actually, what I did was, um, I came up with a, a theory that social media sentiment, like mm -hmm. things from Twitter, have a very big correlation to the stock market. Like you know, for a certain brand, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, uh, Microsoft. And I said, okay, if we take the tweets that people are saying and try to give a sentiment, is it positive? Is it negative? And as it changes from you know, as daily activities or weekly activities happen, mm -hmm. it kind of creates a pattern of up and down. Yeah, yeah. We can use that 
potentially to try to correlate the stock market and see if the, it, it reflects in the same way. So at that time, I said, okay, what's becoming really big right now is LinkedIn, right? So with the ability to go on Twitter and learn a little bit about the hashtags and, the, and people adding to LinkedIn, I want to say, if I can convert those into metrics to see if there's a positive or negative sentiment in it, we can use that to understand when is the IPO of LinkedIn going to peak? That was at that time, like maybe a month later after we started that project, a month and a half, was, was I, uh, LinkedIn went IPO. So I said, okay, cool, let's, let's try this out. And I ended up predicting LinkedIn's IPO like a peak price to about 15 cents nice. to where it actually, uh, before it started to drop because yep. of this, uh, this algorithm that we built um, using sentiment analysis on Twitter. Uh, it was incredible. But it was mm. just about that time when um, the data rules for all these social media companies started to come into play. Yeah. They're like, okay, we can put in caps. You can't just take as much as you want. You have to put a certain amount. And then it just became a little bit more unfeasible. To, to this is around 2013? Around 20, yeah. 20, I would say around 2011, 2012. Yeah, yep. around that time when uh, closer to even 2013, 2014 is when they got, became even more stricter about the way they're going to disseminate information. So but what I realized a lot was about market timing in that, in that business. Yeah. But, but it was insanely successful in that one project that we did. We made a, I made a ton of money investing, throwing options into that LinkedIn IPO uh, and then used it to fuel other entrepreneurial ventures. Perfect. But that was a, that was a really Did you raise big, capital or was it your pure no, play? No, no, no. It was fully bootstrapped. It was, there, there was no, we didn't even get to the chance to start looking to raise capital. It was more about that product gotcha. validation phase. But in the product validation phase, we realized that the market just changed. But the, the hypothesis we had before was no longer viable, right? So we ended up having to change and ended up going into, you know, saying, let me start another business. You know, and then I went and started another company called Anchor. It was a news reporting application. Very simple concept. Mm. There are people all over the world now with smartphones that are becoming very, very good cameras. Yeah, it was at that time, like 2011 to 2013, yeah. when iPhone's cameras are starting to become yeah. super, super robust and like the quality was picking up, the, uh, even the video, a little bit of the video was picking up on, on cameras. So it's like a lot of news agencies and publications were sending out photographers, right, paparazzis to events. We said, why not empower people that are there on the street with their phones to make a little bit extra money by sharing videos and photos of people on the street, yeah, right? So okay. we initially started the use case of news and kind of dwelled into you know, sports games. If you take a cool shot of a guy taking a three-pointer, for example, or a dunk, um, you, know, you see a celebrity walking down the street, whether you're in LA or in Toronto, uh, you go to a, a festival, you take some cool photos, you can post that and then agencies can buy images from you as an individual instead of having to go out and uh, you know, send photographers that are you know, well, very professional but very expensive. You know, so it was insanely cool. We built it out. We ended up um, going and talking to CTV News and signing them as a, as a client initially and saying, we can send you pictures from TIFF. Um, we validated the concept through them and started growing it. Ended up exiting to a small company in Toronto that wanted to, had already built an infrastructure behind this and had connections to big agencies and said, we want, we want this technology that you guys built and the, and the methodology. So it, even though it wasn't a massive exit, it was like a first mini exit that I had to deal with. Yeah. Uh, but it was cool. Like it was like, okay, I understand now exactly what the, what it means to say product market fit and then find a way to sell a company to keep going and moving on, yeah. you know? Yeah. So that was, that was like you know, some of my first couple of first startups. But I also advise and I, um, and I sit on the board of a couple of companies. Uh, I became like super immersed in the space. When you go to all these hackathons and networking events and conferences, you start picking up things, right? You start talking to VCs and accelerator owners and you start realizing how they think. You get to see the vibe too, like what trends are coming up, right? Yeah, what people yeah, are talking and, about. And honestly, that was, that was one of the coolest things. So one of the companies, and I'll pull this out of my pocket right now, yeah. is uh, I didn't even know I was going to do this, but... Um, one of the companies I met back in the day was a company called CoinKite. 
um, they created the world's first Bitcoin ATM cool. card. Okay. And this is what this is what it was. Uh, very cool. At that time, the cryptocurrency world was just picking off, just blowing up at that time. Yeah. And uh, it was it was incredible. They had a lot of ATMs in downtown Toronto. Um, and so I get to learn about the bit, you know, the cryptocurrency world, which was like you like you just said, you know, you get to learn about the newest industries, what's yeah. going on. And that's why I, I love networking more than anything else because some people learn by doing. Yeah. Right. They go. They watch podcasts or they listen to documentaries. They go to attend um, seminars, read books. For me, as an extreme extrovert, I learn through people. Yep. That's my way of learning. So when I go and say I've met close to forty-five thousand people over the last nine years, each person I talk to, when they're in the innovation space, they always know they're the frontier of their industry. Right. They're always staying up to date. They're looking at the, the latest information. So when I hear them talk about things. I learn about the most passionate things that's happening going on right now, especially technology. When you go to a lot of engineering and developer meetings uh, or meetups, you get to see like the latest technologies coming into play. At that time, Ruby on Rails was blowing up in 2009, 2010. Uh, moved on into the Agile frameworks and cross-platform applications. Yeah. So you get to stay in the know, yeah, yeah. right, through people who are already in the know, right. So that's why networking was so powerful for me. Uh, opened up, you know, every job I've gotten. From that TD Bank, Procter and Gamble, all of them was all through networking. I met somebody, kept in touch with them, got a coffee, ended up doing. So I, I honestly believe that the the saying that goes, "Your net worth is your network." Absolutely, I believe that too. It, it is the truth and beyond anything. So now I have a bag of business cards. Yeah, close to about two thousand now of from all over the world, from Italy, uh, Spain, uh, France, uh, you know, Tel Aviv. Little bit of Bangalore in India, like all these places I've been to. So let me ask you this, because I've done the same kind of strategy that you have. Like, yeah. I'm actually an introvert. Yeah. No one actually believes this, my friends, because I push myself to go out and meet people because right. I see the same value. Right, right. You know, I push myself to go out and meet people and talk to people, right? And it's been a five-year journey. I know you've been doing it a little longer. Mm. For me, it's been a five-year journey, and I experienced the same kind of same kind of growth from people, yeah. learning skills, understanding what's going on. Um, but one of the tricks I've, I've understood is that you had to leave an imprint on people. Yeah. So you want to call them like a year later or two years later. Right. You gotta have a story or something, right? Right. Do you have like a mechanism you put to make sure someone remembers you? Yeah. So I think like a bit of um, the experience is that when you meet a lot of wide range of people, you have to put people into, into categories or buckets, and then approach them when you've got something for them, right? And gotcha. that's the strategy. It's like if you, uh, you know, you can keep in t- touch with people. Over time, and that's what you do. You got to keep email reminders. So these buckets, you, you categorize them uh, by value, by what they're doing, yeah, their function. personality types. Yeah, it's, it's, it's function. function. It's, like, it's like function. Like what do they do, and what do they want to do in the future, and how can you help them, right? So in between, I started connecting people all over, like all the places that I met, and said, oh, you want to meet somebody who does marketing? Oh, I met this fantastic person, you know, maybe two two months ago that I think you guys would would match because of what you guys are doing. Boom, made an yeah. intro- email introduction. Right, so instead of like just following up with somebody randomly, when I have something for them and I think I can improve their life, their work, their business, that's when I make those introductions. It goes a big way, and especially someone. And it goes someone, a huge yeah, way, right? Yeah. And that, like you build credibility through that, right? That's the most important thing. It's like instead of like how can I help myself, it's like if I can help you in any way possible, you're gonna remember me. Absolutely. Right. That's the that's the way. Like that's the this world that we live in. That yeah. You get to give before you receive. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's like the new motive in sales now, right? Where sales, like pre-internet, used to be exploitative, right? Yeah. People don't understand have any knowledge, so you use your knowledge against them to get them to get them to sign up to whatever product, sales, or service you're trying to sell. Right. But now it's the value add, right? You put all this value, you you give out all your secrets for free almost. Yeah. Right. So you give all give 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 give. So when you do want to convert, they are like, okay, this is the person to go to for this. 
Yeah, it, right? it's, it's more for the, like, you know, with this new age that we've come into, like, it's called the social media age, yeah. right? Everybody has a brand and personality. But it seems like you got into this earlier. Like, social media didn't really start blowing up to like, 2011, 2013. People don't know what it was. Yeah, you know, the, the initial it seems like a, traces were there before, though. Yeah. The initial traces were there, even, like, the, the, with the, I don't know, we'll, we'll go back, way back, okay? So, back in, like, I don't know if you know, like, T.Wire. Yeah. And, like, those, like, old school, like, A-list platforms, you know, back when, like, before the first Facebooks so or MySpace came yeah. out, right? Even from that time, yeah. it was a different type of era, but it was beginning. Yep. Yeah, it was like it was lay, laying down the seed in the groundwork for what is So you saw that today. coming, you saw a trend coming, you saw, you see, the you connectivity, yeah. Yeah, you see the thing, when you, when you tie yourself to a personal brand, when, you, when 7 billion people on earth, people want to see who the thought leaders are in the space. Who are the people who, who when, you, um, when you're in, in a situation where you need to learn some education or get some knowledge, and you want to go to one source, you want to go to a trusted source, you don't have a lot of time to research and do your thing, you go to the one that is the most well-known yeah. or the one that you've seen repetitive times. That's why brands do advertising and they spend a lot of money making sure people see them. Like Coca-Cola, you see them everywhere, right? Yeah, yeah. Because the first thing you think of when you're thirsty and you're out on a hot summer day is Coca-Cola. Sim- similarly, when you, think, like, when you think of a thought leader and like somebody who does podcasts for startups, you can think of Blue Max, yeah. right? You can think of Blue Max because yeah, yeah, like, yeah. these guys are going out and they're killing it, right? So in the same way, that's how the social media age kind of helped uh, spur more people growing. And when the Instagram came into place, YouTube, I think YouTube was a time when people were able to start making money yeah. as YouTube creators. That's when things just went viral, yeah. right? Things went viral. Some of the people, like some of the top people on YouTube right now, like the Ace Family, for example, uh, back in the day, uh, Ryan Higger, like they make so much money. And all they do is they just love doing what they do. Right? Yeah, I mean, I think more than the money, like for me, I learned so much on YouTube. Yeah, you know it's what I mean. The learnings, yeah. Like, um, if I'm selling a new product or service, I go on YouTube for three days, learn about everything about that industry, right? There's thought leaders that they're talking about it all for free. Yeah. Now, like, um, I know, like, all these uh, universities now are providing, putting up all their lectures online. Yeah. So if you want to learn, like, Virginia Law School, right, brings in some of the biggest thought leaders in in law and talks about how to use law and corporate law and all these same things. I have no idea how <laughs> law works. But listening to them talk, I understand at least, okay, what are the frameworks in law so I can now pre-qualify the right lawyer to work with? Yeah. I can test them and be like, okay, do you actually know what you're talking about, right? Right. So right. like those kind of frameworks are there now and it's all for free. Mm-hmm. And I think it's for entrepreneurs, especially people who are able to go out there and like just go out and find value where needed. This free information is such a boom, right? It really is, man. Really, and like, I think like one of my professors actually described this in a really cool way. He's like, life is like a path. Right? There's, there's, you've got thousands and thousands of different paths to take, and you pick which one you take, right? Sorry. Yeah. And like, since the beginning, before the internet, like 2,000 years ago, like when, when farmers were trying to decide which crop to plant, right? what they took on as, as like, you know, advice or research was their neighbors around them. Yeah. Like if you see okra, somebody planting okra next door, and they're doing really well and selling it, you're like, maybe I should try okra. So when you, you've got like maybe six or seven plants, like tomatoes, maybe corn, and you see somebody else do it, you're like, okay, cool, I know this works. So I can avoid the other ones and not waste my time. Mm-hmm. And as the internet kind of came into play and more uh, knowledge is being spread, people from all over the world were telling each other what not to do. Right? Of the thousand or the infinite paths that are out there, 999 of the thousand, it's like we tried it and it didn't work, or somebody tried it. So if I try the one, I don't waste my time doing that. So that's how the, these podcasts or even the YouTube videos work. It's that's like, the biggest value, yeah. It's the things, it's cutting down what on... What are my failures? Yeah. What have I learned in the path, right? What, not only what you've learned, but what other people have learned yeah. and what should I not do to make the same mistakes. Because so, if you don't learn, you're going to make the same mistakes from other people. You're never going to get further than them. So let's tie into that. Like, right. uh, what are some mistakes that you're proud of and not so proud of? So one of the biggest, I think the first, one of the first companies I started, the biggest mistake I think I made was trying to grow too fast. Right, team-wise, and trying to do too much. 
I think that's, that's one of the universal things. That, like, there's two types of entrepreneurs I've realized out there. One type of entrepreneur that you know, is building something that is solving one problem, one, like, one focus, and they want to go and, and kill and, and be obsessed about that. There's another entrepreneur that knows that there's a certain problem they want to solve, but don't know it yet. And they want to validate, they want to learn, they want to talk to as many people and figure out how the best way to solve it, right? So I, I feel like I was a little bit in that second um, bucket where I knew there was some issue because you know, a lot of companies, startup companies were not doing well. They're failing, the 90% failure rate, that bothered me. That really, really, really bothered me. And I, and I wanted to solve it, but I didn't know how. So as part of that, I was like, okay, let me grow and do as many things. Let's build a team. Let's get like five, six engineers. Let's get you know, a lot of develop, uh, business developers and everybody on the team. But what I realized along the way is that when you try to grow too fast, you forget the paths that actually you're not supposed to take. Right? When you stay focused, you get like, okay, you can litmus test each path before taking it, I agree, do yeah. the research. But if you're trying four or five different things, you have to spend research doing four or five different litmus tests. And over time, you're just going to be slower than anybody else. So doing multiple things, even though you know you, know you may want to do in the future, today it's about being a little bit more reserved. It's a little mm. bit about being more, a little bit more focused, right? So I think that's, like in terms of trying to grow too fast without realizing what your underlying thing that you're solving is, what the biggest problem, and getting and honing down and being obsessed about solving it, I think that was a huge, huge initial failure for me from one of my other companies. Um, and then, you know, as you move on to the next stages, every startup you do. So now I'm in my seventh venture now. Yep. It's my seventh startup company. And every company that I've done has either you know, grown a little bit or failed or you know, pivoted at some point. But every point is a learning experience, right? So my, that second company I was telling you about, a little bit about the, um, oh, sorry, the first company, my opinion, was about market timing. It's about doing a lot of research about what is coming in the future with the main um, point of critical emphasis that you're doing. So this data that we were talking about before, that was my, basically my oil. Right, that's coming from Twitter. And I never thought, like, what if they close that off? Yeah. What if they shut off the tap? Then what do I do next? What if these, all these social media companies, then what do I do next? Going into it, I didn't identify the greatest risks to my business. And by not understanding what those greatest risks were and trying to find a, a way to mitigate them in some way, when something comes into play, you're basically left with nothing. Yeah. Right? You're left like, you, with the inability to, to continue moving forward. So let's circle back to that. So you identified that you need to focus on pain points that you're trying to solve. Yep. Right? What are the pain points that uh, you're obsessing about now? Like, so one of the biggest pain points, like I, I just referred to it, and I, I'll keep saying it until I die, is the failure rate of startup companies around the world. Like I, I, when, I, when you meet 45,000 people, maybe, mm. maybe 20,000 of them are entrepreneurs, 30,000 entrepreneurs, you get to see people struggling like struggling all over the world at different age groups yep. from like students in like, I, I met students in high school and like, like in grade nine who entered a pitch competition and they're trying to do something for their community and trying to grow even the smallest way all the way up to like I, recently in, in Silicon Valley in Redwood City at a, at a conference, I met these, this couple that uh, you know, were both initially entrepreneurs. They started off as entrepreneurs and as they were, um, as they were you know, growing, they actually had, got married and had kids, and they're like, you know, we can't do this right now. We have a family to support. We can't be risky and take these big risks. So we have to, you know, get a stable jobs and do this. But near the end of the thing, when their kids got, you know, married and you know, graduated and went off on their own, now they started a company around the age of 70, right? And they're struggling. They double mortgaged their house, and they're like, we don't know what to do. We're trying, yeah. and like, we just we we came together as as a couple, as like, you know, we found love with this idea of starting our own business and doing it. But we were. We were 
um, handcuffed by like what was going on in our life at that time. And we don't know, we need your help to, to help us solve this and learn about what's going on. And the industry is changing so fast, the startup industry, yep. that people are struggling. They're just trying to stay afloat, trying to apply for funding, apply for, you know, to get, just to get relevancy. And a, a lot of people think that it's good for the industry that people are failing so that you can you know, separate out the, the, the good, good from the bad. Yeah. I don't believe that's a true thing. And, I, and, I, and I'll tell anybody, any investor, any accelerator who says like that, I don't think they're realizing where the future is going. The future is they're not good companies and bad companies. They're companies that are ready and companies not yet ready. That's the way you look at it. Mm -hmm. And the companies that are not yet ready, if their people are passionate, that's one thing that nobody can capitalize on is passion. Right? If you get a job at a, at a bank, for example, you know, good paying corporate job, um, you go to work 9 to 5, maybe 9 to 8, 9 to 6 o'clock every single day, and there's somebody else who starts a company that does what you're doing in your field. And they're doing it to try to build their own business because they're passionate about it. You will never, and if that person finds a way to, to make money doing this, you will never be able to compete with the level of output that person will make. Absolutely. There's no corporate company who will be able to pay enough to somebody to, that, can, that can actually overbalance the passion. That passion is what I believe is what startups are behind. Right? What's the real secret sauce? It's like the ability to like say, I don't care where this goes. Even if I don't make money doing this, this is a problem I want to solve that I'll be happy. It's a hobby of mine. If I can find a way to make money doing this, I can live and just make this my entire life. Yeah. And there's so many people who do that and I believe, and I want to empower more people to do that. I want to teach them what I've learned by traveling to all these different cities around the world, talking to so many entrepreneurs. I want to show, use that formula and kind of give that to them and say like, there's a minimum litmus test to what it takes to be a good entrepreneur, no matter where you go in the world. I've like, I think now 120, 130 people now I've interviewed. Accelerators, investors, entrepreneurs in different cities. And I come up with this 70% rubric that no matter where you go in the world, it, a startup company is a startup company. And that's what it takes to, to, to grow it, the validation, the traction. Right? I want to show that and almost make like a checklist for entrepreneurs. So once they get beyond that stage, it's about them and their tenacity, their passion to go out into the world, door to door, or you know, people by like a network by network, tap into those connections to get stuff done yeah. to change the world. Well, I find startup to be is a start, the startup mentality is to be a philosophy. Yeah. Right. There's entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurship's been around since humanity's been around. Yeah. Right. People have taken. There's always been the risk takers to go out and vision something different and try to build that vision. Right. Right. Um, so I find startup to be a philosophy where you streamline it. Right, you become more coordinated, and you're running tests, right? And it's a way to go go about starting a company as, with least amount of resources possible, but uh, figuring out exactly the core competencies of the business, right? Mm -hmm. And running that as fast as possible. And I, I agree with you completely. There is a formula. There is a way, a mentality of doing this, right? So how are you teaching this? Like, what, what does like uh, what's your methodology so, here? So like, you know, when I first started doing this, there was a you know about five years ago when is when my Previous consulting firm came into play. I was in Los Angeles. I was at a hack. This is Pangea. This is Pangea. Yeah. yeah. So Pangea is my startup consulting firm, and uh, I, we, I formed the concept and the entire idea when I was in Los Angeles. Yeah, about five years back, I was visiting a buddy of mine who, um, you know, childhood friend, got a, worked at Waterloo Engineering, got a cool job at Tesla in uh, in the design studio in LA, yep. working with uh, you know Elon Musk building concept cars. So went down and visited him. He lives right near Venice Beach, and I went to. I was like, you know, obviously I'm here. I network like crazy. Let me go to some networking events in LA. I went to a hackathon called Angel Hack. Ended up, one of our mentors in the group or in the hackathon uh, was an angel investment company. And they were a mid-sized firm, uh, not a large one, a small mid-sized one. And they're like, you know, we don't get access to the same 
good deal flows at the Sequoia Capitals and the large companies. And, and California is getting very saturated from LA down to San Francisco. So, and the cost of living is going up so much that we aren't look, we're not making the same rate of returns that other people are. And we want to diversify some of our investments elsewhere. And we hear like some really cool stuff about Toronto and Waterloo. After the fall of BlackBerry, a lot of the engineers used to work there went off and opened their own companies. They knew about OpenText and they were like, you know, a fantastic company. And they're like, we want to find more companies like that to empower. And the Canadian dollar was about 20 Sorry, this cents. Is, this is what, 2015, 2016? Uh, it was, yeah, about 2014, 2015, yeah, 2015, 2015 yep, I yep. believe it was. Uh, and it was like... That's when people started getting interested in Toronto. Yeah, that's when people started getting interested in the, the idea valley, yeah. In, yeah. in the valley, and like because like a lot of engineers used to go to, from Waterloo to, to sorry from Waterloo to San Francisco to work there. It's a very a lot of outflow, a resourcing. It's a crazy yeah. outflow, right? Yeah. And slowly, some of the like the resources were being pumped into the into the ecosystem there with Communitech and Velocity and the and the groups and Google was opening like you know some centers there. So like they're like, yeah, do you do you know some companies? So I ended up recommending some companies to them. They ended up working with a, a few of them, and then. They said, keep finding us more. This is, this is incredible. Your, your mixture of your skill sets makes so much sense. So you're sense. like a headhunter for startups. Kind of like a headhunter for startups. Yeah, you know? yeah. So I studied in school at Shoe, like I studied entrepreneurship and finance. That was one of my, speci- my specializations. So I took venture capital courses. I took finance courses. So this is my world. Right? I, it became everything so I did. How, how did you make this revenue positive for yourself? I can imagine that being a very um, inten- like capital-intensive project. Traveling back around, finding these kind of companies, right? Well, you see, a lot of people like make travel as part of their life, right? You know, going to places around the world to visit. I make it so that if I go somewhere, I want to do business there, right? So I can justify the trip. Yep. Right. So for me, it's like it started off saying, okay, I was just going to make take visits that I was going to do anyways as part of vacation. But during those times, I'm going to go meet, going to go to three, two to three to four networking events in that city to expand my network, send my business cards into the world, and collect their business cards. So at this time, what was your main business side? Like, were you? The, like now, realizing that that's the framework, that's how I want to help companies, uh, I realized that 90% of all the clients that we've worked on in the last like two, three years are, are still around, funded, and growing. Nice. So either, either, either they're funded or they're like, they found a way to bootstrap and make revenue. So something that we're doing is working. Something, we flipped the entire stat of 90% of companies fail, and we almost became like an accelerator. Oh, in, in a sense, not in, not even really in an accelerator. More of a value-added, you're like a value-added accelerator, yeah, right? Yeah, ex- except we connect people with other accelerators, with other networks. Other resources. Yeah, other resources, right? We, like if, if you are meant for Mars or you're meant for DMZ, because if you're a health tech company and you're in the seed stage, you got to go talk to Mars's fund because that's where you are. If you are in fashion, in media, in, in any of that side, like DMZ has an amazing, amazing resource. Now they open up a fashion accelerator Absolutely. too, right? Yeah. So people got to go where the... Expertise lies. That's the best way to grow, and that's that's when I come up with this concept and I learned it called smart money. Now this is where the investor game really took yep. off for us. Yep. Right. So the investors, what what I realized, I got a chance to meet all the like the big big companies yeah. before they were even successful that are now unicorns in Canada. So for example, like Michael Katchen uh, of Wealthsimple, met him at a, at a, at like a, I think it was a hackathon or a networking event way back before he like just about the time he was starting Wealthsimple. Same same thing. The the guys who um, started Shopify in Ottawa when they were first expanding out of Ottawa and mm-hmm. Toronto. I got to meet them at, at, the, at one of the events they first came. Really? Same, yeah. So like some of the biggest guys in that are in Toronto, I met them. But I also met other people that were the same stage they were, funded. You know, they were ready, they were growing. But I saw why they didn't succeed, and I, and I, and I understand like why. What what goes behind this? And almost ninety five. I think I'm making this number up, but it was a very high number, like ni- above ninety. But Almost everyone who was successful had a smart money funding round. 
which meant that the investors who put money into that round had some level of expertise, networks, skill sets, or something that complemented and, and accelerated the business wasn't a blank check to yep. say, you guys do this. Because that discipline is what entrepreneurs need. They need that more than anything. That's why even when I look at some of these equity crowdfunding like, you know, plays out there and just these like Kickstarter campaigns and all that, I, I, I can tell why these won't be successful in the long run because you don't have a disciplined person who knows the game, whose job is to stay in the, to be part, networking with the top people to make up introductions and connections with you. So I saw this as the most, I started interviewing investors and I said, I'm gonna sit down with angels and VCs. I'm gonna ask them questions like, what have you invested in the past? Mm -hmm. Who do you have in your network? What alumni organizations are you part of? Who does your wife go to yoga with? Like literally, like, or, or like, you know, who's your family connected to? Because the most perfect investment smart money is when day one, you meet, you like each other. Day two, you sign a term sheet, ready to put the money in. Day three, that investor has lined up four meetings with, for you, for somebody's network, to double your sales, to accelerate your validation. Absolutely. That is the win. If, you treat, if the investor treats like a co-founder and you treat them like a co-founder, you now have extra people tooting your horn, yeah, yeah, right? And that's when it, things came really into play because that's when I, we started saying, okay, I'm gonna start learning about companies, filling out who they are, who, what they need to grow, then go to investors and do the same thing. So when I connected people together, they know who they were talking to. Yep. They knew why already what they could do for each other, mm -hmm. right? And it was, it was that what, kind of what sparked it. So I, I hope that answered your question. In the no, instance, it does. Like, that's, where, uh, that's where everything started. I think it's a great point you brought up because uh, now that the innovation economy is booming, I mean, we're seeing that a lot of dumb money coming into play, right? Yeah. People are willing to write checks. Oh, yes. Right? And entrepreneurs are willing to gobble that up. Because, like, oh, all we need right now is capital. I know what to do. I know what problem is. I know where, where to go. I think the capital and resources need to get going, right? And those are doomed, not doomed for failure, but have a higher risk of failure because, you know what? You need that kind of guidance, right? And that extra connection. So smart money, 100%, and, a great and play. Like, and even, even like, the, like, you know, most investors, like smart ones, will do, like, tranches. Right, so they'll put like even if they give you a million dollars, for example, they won't give it to you upfront. They'll give you in like rounds. You see like, how you yeah. how you and, spend it, yeah. Yeah, and then you, how you get hit milestones. So you you sit down and you like whatever projections you gave them from like you know, this is what my business will do over the next year. They say okay, well every quarter we'll release the, the next round of the, the tranche if you hit the metrics that you know both of us negotiated you're, you're going to hit. So what that does is like saying okay now that we have the money we're not going to be complacent anymore. We're going to try to hit the metrics that these guys have set because we won't get the next rounds of funding otherwise. That discipline to like meet the objectives of what you're doing actually is where the real, real like inefficiency is born, right? That is where. And when you when I see like people give up money up front, I, I'm like, you know, even sometimes we advise investors like smaller angels and family offices. They come to us and say, look, you got a due diligence team, you got lawyers. Can you guys help us invest our money into these companies? Here's some of them. I'm a valuation expert, right? Mm. Starting off in this finance world, I built models myself to value pre-revenue companies. Wrote a, wrote a paper in my, in my entrepreneurship class when I was doing this on how to do this, like how to combine what we learn, we do in the stock market in the, to, uh, to realize stocks, and all the way down to startups. How do you use things like number of downloads, number of uh, likes on Instagram, your social media following? How do you convert that into the valuation of a company? I took I research and learned all the models that all the like the VCs use, the scorecard methods, the 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 the, the venture capital method of uh, exit model um, fruition. I took all that and built my, an insanely robust model on Excel, yeah. and I started selling that to investors, saying I can give you a third-party unbiased valuation of what the company's worth, where they're weak, and what they need to improve. Then in, startups asked me, "Can you actually do this for us? Because we can defend our valuation." Yeah, I've seen those uh, third-party uh, validation agencies have been popping up a lot. Right. A lot of these VC firms. Uh, use them and it, that's a great value add 
Yeah. Right. And what do you charge for that? You charge? Yeah. So like it, it depends. It depends on the size of the company. It depends on the, like how many revenue. So my indication is how many revenue models that they are projecting to have, and how many and how what kind of company it is. Right. So like a data play, for example, like yeah. a social network, you won't see revenue in the in, for like years. Yep. Six, seven years yep. minimum. Yep. Right. You won't see real actionable revenue. Whereas enterprise SaaS companies. They're very different because yeah. they're now like things. So based on the type of model, the, the pricing ranges anywhere you know, from like 1000 to like ten grand to give this assessment. But even companies, they come to us and say, look, can you please give us a value of what we're worth so that when we're going to an investor and we're, you know, we're signing a term sheet with them, we have something to defend ourselves with. Yep. Right? So this, this is the thing. I'm, I'm realizing what parts of a business at the early stage adds value and yeah. what doesn't. Yeah. Right? And what, what is waste of time? So I, I tell entrepreneurs, like, to, to be able to get to the next stage, you need to hit your mini milestone, right? To what you need to do, but it's in every area, all these nine areas, you have to get to the just the like the, the B or A, A grade, and then beyond that point, stop. Yep. Like move on to the next thing. Find somebody who can help do the next thing. Because what I realize most entrepreneurs do is, when, whatever background they come from, that's what they're comfortable with, right? Like if like if you come from a like I say a media background and you're starting a company, the first thing you're gonna do is you're gonna, you're gonna start a media like outlet, and you're gonna go and push out as much as you can because that's what you know and what you're comfortable with. But at a certain point, the more you do brings marginally, marginal diminishing returns for the goal you're trying to do. If you're trying to raise money, the extra videos you put out won't actually give you, get you more credibility for that side. You right. may need now traction on revenue. So yeah. you need to step away and say, okay, I got this to where it is at the minimum. Now keep it on autopilot, keep it going. Don't keep focusing on it, go into something else. Yeah. Like make it efficient. That is what I don't think enough entrepreneurs do. They, they, like if you're a lawyer, you're gonna keep making contracts. You're gonna keep making, like, you know, filing patents. For, for a business to try to see if that could be the credibility. So let me just bring up startup fuel. Yeah, for right? sure. So I know you, you mentioned this a few times now. So let's go get into it. Um, so startup fuel is a platform you developed, yeah. right? But it's also a company, right? And a show, right? Right. Uh, let's go get more into that. So what is it? Um, what is the value add here? And how do you guys work? Yeah. So we we took the exact same model that LinkedIn did, and we're solving the problem of noise in, in the in the system. So when I was telling you that every industry is being disrupted, even within itself. Now, before it was like, okay, are you a startup? Yeah. You, are you use technology? That was a differentiation. Are you a brick and mortar company, as a small business, or are you a startup? Then it like broke off into into more industries. Are you fintech? Are you you know agritech? Are you SaaS based? Now it's going even deeper. In every vertical, there's even like you know. Um, more clear, more defined uh, categories of what each company is. In fintech, there are payments, for example. There's credit cards, there's uh, APIs, there's various different ones. So we realized that to connect people together, you need to build a taxonomy framework that has all these things so people can index who they are. So how is that different from like Crunchbase or so like, AngelList? Oh, yeah. yeah, AngelList and Crunchbase, we took the, the ideas that they initially started off yeah. with and we said, what we want to do is we want to connect applications that entrepreneurs are applying for, like similar to what F- F6S yeah. and other groups did, and make it even simpler, even simpler. So by going around the world, when I interview like 45,000 people, what I've been really doing is it's validating how AngelList, F6S, how people use it, and what they're using it for and what they're not using it for. And what I realized what, they're in, what the purpose, what, they're tr- what initially they were trying to do, it's not solving the main problem of cutting down noise on either yeah. side. Okay. Right? And as the industries get more and more um, specialized mm-hmm. is becoming noisier. So we took the concept and said, how do we solve this problem of connecting startups who want to apply for funding, pitch competitions, grants, all these applications out there, and how do we make it more streamlined for them? Okay. Right. So we went and we said, these are things called opportunities. Right. Opportunities are listed 
all over the internet currently. VC funds, you can apply to them as a, as a you know, to get into their round of funding. Uh, accelerators, you can apply to them as cohorts. Pitch competitions, you can get into their pitch competition, government grants. And all these applications, when I'm talking to people, 70% of all the questions that are there, part of these applications, are all the same. Yep. No matter where you go in the Absolutely, world. Absolutely, yeah. That was the beauty of it. Like, who, what's the biggest problem you're solving? What's the solution? What are the tr- what's your current traction? How you plan on doing it? And then 30% is like country or region specific of like, you know, like maybe in, in, uh, in Canada, we're much more conservative, much more SaaS, um, you know, re- realized revenue based. So they have different questions regarding that side, right? In the US, in, in Silicon Valley, they're more unicorn database. They want to build big, big companies, right? So if I can nail that 70% and make it standardized, entrepreneurs don't have to spend time filling out applications anymore. They don't have to go from site to site and fill out on the pages when everything has already been filled out once. That's a big thing. Right? So if it saves time for them. So you're kind of like Lever, what Lever did, did for uh, applying for jobs. Yeah. You're kind of doing that for the startup industry, for applying you for things. You nailed it. You nailed it. Lever's yeah. a fantastic example of it. Uh, what they did for things. But like LinkedIn did the same thing too, right? Well, how LinkedIn did it was they, instead of, um, they took resumes that were completely unstandardized by every single person and they made you one profile where everything is standard. No matter where, which profile you go to, which person, you can know exactly what they do, where their skills are, what, how long they've worked there. So when HR managers are reviewing people, they save four to five seconds per, yeah. per thing. And when, you do, when you're reviewing 300, 400 applications on a one-time job, maybe like five, six times a year, yeah. it's a long, it saves a lot of time. Absolutely. Then they said you know, to the employers, we've got all the people who are creating profiles here. So why don't you list your job opportunities from Indeed and Monster and just put a link to where they can apply, but give us a criteria. So if people see it and say, oh, it's not us, they don't waste time filling out the application, right? So we said, why don't we do the same thing? Mm-hmm. So when you click any one of these, for example, like if you click uh, yeah. the um, pitch our technology right here, the cultivation cap, sure. this is a, um, a VC fund from St. Louis, Louis Missouri. Uh, it's a tech fund. And these are the companies that they, they want to they apply to them. Artificial intelligence, fintech, manufacturing, marketing, social media, pre-seed, seed, series A, only in Canada, the U.S. They don't want companies from everywhere. So sorry, this is a pitch competition or? This is a fund. It's a VC it's fund. It's a fund and yeah. they want inbound. They want inbound in- people coming in. So okay. this is like a marketing channel for them. Because we told them exactly who, who it is for, if you are not this, you don't want to waste your time to go and apply. So if you had to apply on company web, on website right there, just hit yep. that right there. And just hit skip this if you're even logged in. Now you go straight to the application. Mm. You don't go to the website and have to read and see if this is for you or not. You already know. So you fill it out and bam, now they have an inbound lead. And we're seeing most of the people that are coming from our, like our links from our site are the ones that are moving on in every round because they already know that the people that are, that they already know what the criteria is. So if they don't think that, that, that they follow or they fit those criteria, they won't apply. Okay. So now if you, if you yeah, head back to the options yep. page, here's the new thing we learned. So this is what LinkedIn did next. Yeah. So what LinkedIn did after that is saying, how are we going to make money doing this? So they said, we can obviously advertise the jobs and people can pay for them. You know, like companies can pay for, to advertise certain positions. Mm-hmm. But we have the people, their profile here. We have the jobs and the criteria. Why don't we create a little CRM, a little room, an application room to intake all the resumes and tell the HR managers from all the companies to log in. It's all in one place. So now people don't have to submit resumes or submit an online thing. They're creating the form on their site and using their profile to apply. Yeah. So now the new thing it's on LinkedIn yeah. is apply with LinkedIn profile. So when you click that, now your profile is now the application. So for people applying for jobs, it's seconds, yep, yep. right? So the employer on the other side now can see everything laid out properly. We took the same concept and applied it with, with startups. Instead of saying, we're going to give uh, um, opportunity providers an application room. So people can apply with their profile. So entrepreneurs with one click can apply to multiple different things. It's amazing. So now if you click, for example, the FinTech forum, like yep. that second one, 
these are the guys that hosted it with us. Instead of apply with the on company website, now this one is this is a one million dollar pitch competition in Montreal happening in October. Yeah. Uh, they've hosted it with us. They're running it through us now. Amazing. So now if you apply with Startup Fuel, it launches our form, and as you fill this out, if you scroll all the yeah. way to the bottom, yeah. you'll see the pitch deck uplo up upload problem objective. Everything is here. But once you fill it out once, the beauty is it created your profile. Nice. Any new things in the future, you don't have to keep like submitting these, this information. Oh, that's a huge So deal. as you go and you realize, oh my God, we just signed a new customer, we pivoted our model, you just gotta go on your profile, make little updates to that section, and you're ready to apply to new things. That's beautiful. Right, so that, that's our, our, our genius behind it. But then we said, okay, now what we're doing is we're gonna create a larger volume of inflow as we market this more and more to the opportunity providers, to accelerators, to pitch competitions. And these guys are already getting bombarded as it is with so many applications. So what we wanna do is make it a smart system. Yep, so when streamline they, it. So when they log in, we actually have given them an, the ability to invite all their judges, all their analysts from everywhere to come on seamlessly, break them down by vertical. So if they have a spe certain specialization or category that they know really well, they get to review those types of companies. So This is for the pitch competition. This is for the pitch competitions, for the VC funds, for the accelerators. And let's just say there's 200 applications and you have five team members that you bring in. They can invite them all remotely from their phone. They can all open up, review every application without having, having to go in an office print anything, download anything, and we built a very smart review system that reviews on multiple categories. Right, so remember I was telling you this nine framework I made? It's a, it's a variation of, uh, of that nine framework where within 35 seconds, you, any judge or analyst can give a review back to, to a company, amalgamates all the reviews from all the judges, and it creates like a top 20 category. But here's the real beauty. This is why I call this an, a platform for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs, not, not necessarily catered to the other groups. Yeah. Is because we built it in such a smart way that now the, like, you know, maybe one or two percent of all the companies who apply to these things win. They move on to the next round. They get funded. Yep. They, you know, whatever, they get to come to a live event. But 98% don't. Yep. Right? And they almost never know why. They never know what, what's wrong with them. But because we built our review system in a smart feedback way, they get a whole report of which areas of their company they're weak in based on the stage they're at. So if they say, oh, wow, like, everything is good except for this, my, like, say, traction or marketing, they know they need to fix that. So then there's a little button beside that where they click and they can connect it to a network of consultants in their local area that are small business startup consultants that can help fix that problem at a pricing that makes sense for them. Jeez. So we're building a digital accelerator, a way to connect people with resources, tell them what's wrong with them, fix that part, and then reapply to new things in the future. Right? That's what I'm telling you. I don't believe in good and bad companies. I believe they're ready and not ready. So the companies that are not ready, they get help, they get fixed in the areas they're not ready in, become ready, and now start applying. And, back. and, and like they get to see the timeline of everything they've applied to, how their reviews and ratings are changing over time to get to become a good company. And this, when an investor is about to invest in a company, they get to see this too, like how they've been improved over the span of the last five years, how they're taking good advice from these experts in these fields down to these to the and you and you also got to see which experts are providing value as well that's the next big key it's which experts like i always thought i'm like the only people that actually really know what they're doing in this space are these judges and analysts yeah they're the people who really know what the the, the latest trends in the industry so how do i transfer the knowledge from these guys into the startup companies they have no obligation to do that yeah they have no obligation to give out free advice or information but what they do is as part of their review and their framework and their pitch competition that they, that they have to attend, they give this advice out for the pro bono, for the community. So the more people they give advice to, and we, if we create a really simple structured format for them to use, why not? Like with, the, with a smartphone, if you can just sit there and like watch a pitch competition and just give like in 30 seconds and give a feedback to the company, feedback to the competition, to the other judges, to, to, to debate, pick the best company, 
what you're doing is you're fulfilling your objective in a very simple way of being there, but you're also helping the company, which is fulfilling the community. Right? And everybody wants more things in their community to do well. And that's how we find out a simple, smart way to do it. And Amazing. it keeps coming back. It's a value loop. Yeah, yeah. It's a value loop, right? And so we've been doing it manually for the last four or five years with Pangea. When people apply to things or they, they go and they're like, okay, this is what we do, I jump on or my team will jump on with them as a, as a call and decide where they're weak, give them advice and connect them with a consultant that can help them and grow it. Right? Mm-hmm. So for us, we, we're, we're now going after like large, large corporations and different groups out there that are all uh, want to use us as an intake tool. Because we, we give marketing to them, right? So I, when I spoke to like corporate innovation, when I spoke to accelerators and investors, they're saying, you know, we spend about, let's say, X amount of money on marketing to get more people to apply to us, get more exposure for what we do. In that process, only 25 to 30% of every company that applies to us is actually follows what we want. Like, you know, or like they, they right now will use Google Ads. They will go to events and they'll sponsor it. They'll have a booth there. And they're like... What we don't realize is that we're casting a wide net onto everybody. And 30, 75% of people are not even qualified. We have to go through these applications. Mm. Okay? And that's when we're like, no, go through us. We're giving targeted approaches. If you launch an opportunity on here for somebody, it goes right to the inbox of that company if it matches all their category, saying you should apply for this because you fit everything that this VC or this accelerator wants you to fit. Perfect. Right? That's simple. But yeah, just uh, that, that's kind of the, in a nutshell. But the media side is something that's, that I think is super, super cool. Mm-hmm. So back when, uh, when we first started, like the, investors being in LA or that angel network being in LA, I had to recommend companies to them. Instead of just doing it through, um, here's a pitch deck, here's a business plan. At the early stage of a business, at seed stage and even C, maybe even series A, you're not investing in a business. You're investing in the people. The people, yeah. So I decided, I'm saying, you know, we want to showcase those people. We don't want to showcase the business. So if you actually want to go to YouTube, yeah. we started a YouTube channel called Startup Fuel TV where we interviewed entrepreneurs on camera. And we did a video business plan, a video pitch deck. Whatever you normally cover in a, in a deck, I'd ask questions to the, to the entrepreneurs and they'd respond back to it. So if you, yeah, Startup Fuel, boom. Yeah, if you want to just scroll down, I'll, I'll pause this and scroll down. Uh, good example is that one, right? Rover. Rover, right, yeah. Yeah, so it's a very simple concept. Yeah. Just video business plans. That's it. And like it was never meant for marketing. Never, it only function. I take this, an hour-long interview, put a six-minute trailer on YouTube, and then share that with the investors that I'm talking to. Anybody that was interested said, hey, I want to come in and watch the hour-long video, sign an online NDA, and move on to the next round of whether they want to invest That's in them or smart. not. Right? Yeah, okay. And so like, at, it was at some point, yeah, you can pause this. Yeah. At some point in that, in that entire journey, one of the investors is like, why don't you just open this up? And make this into something a little bit bigger that anybody can, like, you know, make mm. it into a platform that people can review all the, the investors, all the companies, and maybe invest in them. And that's kind of where the genesis of the platform was, was born. But in, in that process, I was like, okay, this is really cool. I met a really cool representative from, from Bell and Rogers who had said, this is fantastic what you guys are doing. We, this could actually become a TV show in Canada that rivals, or like, that's a compliment to. Shark Tank and Dragon's, Dragon's Den, Den. Yeah. Uh, as a way to interview companies and share their stories with investors. And I said, yeah, that's really cool, but I have no media experience. I don't know anything about media. Mm-hmm. So I-, I need to understand how this could even work. So I met this um, media producer who I then uh, said, 
you know what? I, like, he's a featured filmmaker, uh, does a lot of, uh, you know, has been produced on a couple of different uh, projects. I'm like, hey, this is a cool concept. What do you think of this, like, you know, coming on and helping us do this? He's like, yeah, it's fantastic. I'm, I'm really happy to join. So he came on and we said, okay, you come up with the concept of the show. You are, this is your, like, world. You are, how do you make it entertaining? So he came up with the idea of a Jimmy Kimmel meets Shark Tank. Nice. Where there's a talk show host who interviews companies, nice. shares their story, and then sends keeps it, to, it funny, yeah. Keeps it funny, funny keeps light, it, yeah. pokes the holes where it needs to be poked, you know, makes... So this is meant for like a wider audience? Like people... Meant for the wider audience, even though it's a focus on investors, it's meant for anybody to like, like see what people are up to, what the passion is, what they're, what they're doing, but also actionable items. Right? So, and then, we're, okay, this is a cool concept. Let's do this. And at the end of the show, when we build this platform out, that, like the, the actual website, the LinkedIn, at the end of the show, we go, hey guys at home, if you like what you saw, head to the link below. You can invest in them, partner with them, or just buy their product at startupfuel.tv slash row of parking. So that was our, our, our cool way of connecting media and technology in ways nobody has ever done before, right? So we said, okay, cool concept. Let's start doing this. So it was last year in, in I think it was in September, I was in New York. Uh, on stage at a conference. I was like, hey, anybody want to come up to do a 30-second pitch? I was like, hell yeah, it's an amazing opportunity. So I went on said, this is what I'm up to. Jimmy Kimmel meets Shark Tank. Uh, we're, we're looking, if you're an entrepreneur, an investor, media, come and chat with me. Uh, I'm going to be right in the back. The lady approaches me, says, man, this is a really cool concept. We want you to come and apply to us. Um, our, uh, our network, uh, I work for Netflix. Yeah. And Netflix is opening, looking to open up a division in Canada uh, to get more Canadian content. It's the first international exp- expansion. We, we think this could be a really cool idea for a show. We, we want you to come and pitch this to us. That's amazing. So right now, we are in the process of putting together a pilot and, a, and, a, and an application to Netflix. And knock on wood, if everything goes well, by the end of this year, we'll be a Netflix original. Showcasing entrepreneurs from first in Toronto and North America, then all over the world, and using the platform to do what, what Dragon's End and Shark Tank initially wanted to do, which is get them funded, get them growing, get yeah, them expo- yeah, yeah. not just exposure and marketing, but get them actual like actionable items and connect audiences to them in ways nobody else can or will. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, like, uh, do you know HQ, the, 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 the popular trivia show app? Have okay. you heard of that? No, I haven't. So it, it, it just came out in the last year. Okay. Uh, it's like a who wants to be a millionaire, but it plays around the world. You just log in at 3 o'clock and 9 o'clock per day, and you answer questions. And you get eliminated per round if you, you answer the wrong questions. And there's a few people in the end that win a prize. Wow. Right? So it's a very cool concept. They use media and tech to do this. We are taking the same like, methodology and saying we can do the same thing, but with investments, with partnerships, with startup companies, and the people around the world that want to partner with them right? to solve major challenges and big, big problems. So that's kind of how we're, where we're standing right now with the combination of the show. Yeah. And like when you go now, go back to the platform really quickly. I'm just going to... Sure. So every video now is going to have... Every, every profile is going to have a quick yeah, video that we're going to tell people to either send or record in our studio. Is it start.vc? Yeah, .vc. Yeah, start.fuel.vc. So every single opportunity here and the Explore page has a lot of... Um, companies that are, you know, that are listed. I think it was 120 last time I checked. Nice. Let's see. Yeah, 123. So, nice. Yeah, 123. So like every single day, now people from around the world are signing up. Uh, we've got like another 350 from my MVP that we're importing in now from that we did last year. So we're getting to that 500 mark of startup companies and like investors globally. Mm-hmm. And so the cool thing is now we're replacing these cover images with a video of a five-minute pitch about what they do. Nice. So when, when people are going through the, the, the applicant rooms and like le- reviewing companies' applications, not only do they have a like digital like uh, text version, but they also have a video to watch to see if that's the kind of company that they want to work with and if they yep. like the passion behind the entrepreneurs, right? So it's 
we're, we're like we have that entire media division, Shutterfield TV. Do you have like, like a cutoff? Like, do they have to be a certain kind of production value to these videos? Like, no, they can like film it from their phones. They, like, can, they can film with their phone stuff. We, we're opening up studios, hopefully in every city, like you know, over the next two three years. So far, we're gonna be, it's going to be Toronto, Chicago, and New York in 2019. 2020. So like, they can come in and have like a nice video done? Exactly. They can come in a nice video, but they can still do their own. Like, you know what, what uh, Airbnb did? Like, you can upload pictures of, of your, um, you know, your rooms and everything, but they realize that people want high quality photos so that they, they hire photographers out to go out. Similar concept. We're going to open up studios everywhere. So like the uh, Dutch consulate in, wants us to open an office in Amsterdam. Uh, people in, in like, uh, that I spoke to in Bangalore in India wants us to open up over there. there. A lot of people are subsidizing it. So now this is about that thing I was telling you before about not growing too fast, but growing at the right rate. Systematically, and like, yeah. Fr- franchising the model in different places, allowing media teams in, in different cities to be able to get companies to come in, interview there, yeah. send it back to us, and we do post-production or bring it on the show. Uh, or they can just you know, film themselves too and bring it on, right? So this is what we want to do. We just want to empower entrepreneurs, get their word out, because people are doing some really cool stuff. No matter where you go, I've met people doing some insanely cool stuff, curing cancer, um, solving water shortages in, in drought-ridden countries, building up like things in, for Thailand and, and water cities where tsunamis hit, like you know, helping clean... Um, uh, like garbage in the Philippines. Like there's so many things that are happening and nobody's like indexing and, and highlighting this in, in, a, in a really good way. And we want to do that. So one more thing I want to cover. Like I ask this for everybody because it's a question I've, I've been getting into lately, right? Like there's a framework for identifying uh, entrepreneurs that I find. There's two types. That, I know you talk about your buckets, the yeah. two buckets, but the way I qualify is there's two, two motivations for entrepreneurs, right? right. There's the visionaries, right, who have, see the mountaintop and they want to head towards it. They're dragged towards it. Everywhere they go, they see it and they're like, I need to get there, right? right? And then there are the more systematic, more operators, right, yeah. who are like systematically build something and then they're like, you know what, this is moving, this is actually, uh, this is actually building value, let's keep doing that, right? right? And then people usually fall within the, within the, uh, the middle, yeah, within yeah. the extremes, right? It's like a spectrum, right? Um, for you, I, I kind of see where you're coming from already, but do you see yourself more? Do you see yourself more as a visionary, where you have this vision for what should be, what could be, and you're drawn to it so just powerfully that that's what motivates you and pulls you forward, or are you like systematically building things and you're like, oh damn, this is actually working. Let me keep doing this. Yeah, right. You, you know what? Like I, I think whenever you're, you, you, I love the the two classifications. I mean, it's a, it's what I was kind of alluding to, but I think you you phrased it in a really beautiful way. And I'm gonna, if you mind, I'm gonna use it Take going it. forward. Yeah, absolutely. A, a beautiful way, like visionaries and, and systematic ex- uh, operators. Operators. Right. So, like, when you are either one of those, you can identify yourself with one of those. You have to strive to be the other. Yeah. Because you know, like, the, each you have to be that middle ground of the two, right? I definitely believe I'm I'm, I'm a visionary for sure, and I I'm teaching myself and forcing myself to become an operator become a systematic, you know, use things. Because I want, like, what you see here is not even a fraction of what is to come. And I, I'm not going to even open my mouth or say anything about what is to come in the future. Yeah. Because it's so, it's so, like... That's a bold statement because you've uh, outlined a lot yeah, to us today. It's crazy. It's, what, what is to come is, is crazy. Like, I'm talking about, like, 5, 10, 15 years ago. So that's your right. vision that you're that's trying to even, like... Exactly. You try, you're trying to build in your own head, trying to figure yeah, out... Yeah, I, I already know what it is. You know I, what it is. I already know what it is. And I, now it's, like, if, if I... People will think I'm crazy trying to get to that point. So what, <coughs> so what you got to do in this world is yes. you got to be a systematic operator, build your way there, but know where you want to get to. So as, as you're following the paths of what you, what you need to pick next, does it get you to there or does it stray you off somewhere else, right? Sometimes you have to be like, flexible to pivot too as well, but pivot always can bring you back to where you want to be. 
right? Perfect. So I definitely think, I love that concept, and I said, like, I'm, I'm, I'm more of an, a visionary, but I have to force myself to be more of an operator right now yep. to get to the next stages. And as I get bigger and it gets bigger and bigger, the people I employ in place will be the operators, and they're going to continue doing while I start putting into places movements that will be changing the way the world views entrepreneurship globally. Yeah, right. perfect. That's, that's the point. All right, that's a great way to wrap it up. Yeah. All right, Ashley, thanks for coming on and explaining your vision for what you see for entrepreneurship in the future. Um, I expect great things from this, and uh, let's continue the conversation. Hopefully, we can spotlight more companies that come on for, come towards Startup Fuel, and uh, wish you the best, man. Yeah, thanks so much. This is incredible what you guys are doing. Honestly, like you know, this is a a way to highlight what people are up to. Like a lot of people don't get the credit. You know, I think one last thing before before we kind of wrap this up is I don't think entrepreneurs get enough credit for how hard it is to do something. Like how hard, how painful it is to go through ups and downs, the resilience you need to have to be able to like weather the storms. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when things are going really well, you're like euphoric and trying to make sure everybody's you know, in your team and people around you are, are calm. And when things are really, really bad and you don't know how to pay the next bill, you don't know where your future's gonna go, maybe your credit may be low, you may be worried about anything. Just being able to like to, to breathe in and say, there's a higher purpose. Yep. This is bigger than me. This is bigger than my team. Absolutely. This is for the people. This is for the people. And those are the ideas that survive. Right? And those are the ideas that survive. It's the number one thing. And I, and I do these fuel tips on my, my channel. And I started with one of these first ones was entrepreneurship is a game of persistence. The people that stay the longest are the ones who win. That's it. Perfect. Ashley, thanks for coming out, man. Yeah, no worries. Thanks All the best. Thanks for having me. Perfect.